Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sandalanch podcast. I'm Jamie, and with me, as always, is... Deck, Data, and Joe. And this week, we are covering Mistborn Book 2, The Well of Ascension, chapters 53 through 56, wherein the battle for Luthadel is well and truly underway. Vin returns just in time to make a difference, and we lose some friends and surprisingly some enemies. There's a hell of a lot going on in these chapters, so hold on to something, everybody. The Sandalanch is about to begin. Elders, tellers, keepers of the bottom, treasures of the dirt. Russian string, we swivel and sing, and dig for the annals of the earth. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. Yeah, yep, we lost some people, sadly and happily in some cases, but uh, what did you guys think of these three chapters? A lot of action, which was cool, a lot of, yeah, a whole lot of fun stuff going down. Some bits in these chapters made me really, really happy, others made me excited. One bit made me really, really angry, actually, but we'll cover that when we get to it. Okay. Yeah, I these sort of meaty chapters is what you look forward to in the book, isn't it? I'm so glad we've just got so much going on at the moment. Sad to see some of the people that we love departing the story. I think we, we'd we called clubs pretty early on that he was going to go. He had too much development in this book. So um, it was his time was up, but that was really sad. And Straff's departure, I am just shocked that it happened when it did. I really thought we would have him around for a little while. I wasn't so sure that he would be, you know, the main villain or anything you know, in the in the next book, but I, I really expected a bit more uh, from him. But having said that, I love it. Like, I love that he's... <laughs> That's oh, yeah. great. Um, it just makes me wonder more and more, oh, my God, where are we going with this story now? But, yeah, really, really enjoyed these chapters, and we are most certainly coming to the pointy end of this story. So, yeah. Yeah, we've killed off a lot of uh, a lot of villains uh, throughout these two books, so it does make you question like what exactly is left for moving forward. But there's still some people out there, as uh, we kind of find out in the fourth chapter, I guess. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in these chapters. I, it, it was honestly kind of hard to read for me. It wasn't, you know, it's not exactly what I wanted, which is not, you know, they didn't write this book specifically for me, so. But I don't really know how I felt about these chapters. Interesting. So what do you, I mean, not what you wanted, like how? I, I don't know. I, I, it's just, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy reading these chapters, really. Oh, interesting. Okay. Fair enough. I guess let's get into them. These four chapters, I think I said three earlier. We're, we're on four. Uh, the first epigraph is once again something we've read before about, he talks about his nephew and how he hates Alendi so much. Old news. And the very first perspective we get is Straff, who's like, I think I figured out what drug she was giving me, and I'm actually feeling kind of good now that I'm taking some more. Oh, boy. <laughs> I love I love that he was sort of go, like, oh, I'll wean myself off it. But the first thing he does every morning is wake up and take it. And I'm like, dude, were you even having it daily? Like how how often was feeding this stuff to you? You sound like you're fueling your addiction, not trying to withdraw from it. Yeah, and I mean, especially in one of his later ones, he's just like, you know, I'm kind of 
starting to realize the benefits of this addiction. It's pretty great. Yeah, like, I'm digging this stuff. This is this is awesome. Oh dear. Man, I should have done this sooner. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't have much time to uh, spiral down into this addiction, though, so it's fine. You know, whatever. It's a weird little just like side detail on Straff. It's like also he's addicted to drugs now and he's kind of digging it. <laughs> Whoa, my hands are so huge. <laughs> but uh, Lord Gennaro is saying that the Coloss have broken through four of the city gates, but three of them are still kind of holding up. There's only the north gate apparently has completely fallen and they're getting into the city and looting through the northern gate and Dak and i were actually talking about this looking at the map before uh, the episode but when you read that it's not super clear i don't think like unless you're looking at the map to like which gate they're talking about or who might have been guarding that gate so it's like oh somebody's group is like completely routed that might mean something bad for our crew and i think we knew from the previous section where like sazed and or not say sorry clubs and breeze are talking that they were at i think zinc gate if i'm remembering that right which is like this far eastern gate so we know that's not the one even though we saw the coloss break through there that's not the one that is completely down and so it's not until later we find out that it was tin gate the one that tin will was at that has fallen completely and general's like hey we could attack them now they're uh we could totally take them out and straff's like eh you know let them have their fun We'll wait till they get tired, and then it'll be way easier to kill them. Because Straff just continues to be an asshole. He does. His logic is sound. It's like, if you're going to go and take on an enemy, you want them to be in a weaker position. So waiting for them to tie themselves out, probably not the worst idea ever. Horrible and unethical, but <laughs> logical. Yeah, that's fair. And then we cut straight from Straff to Sazed, who is grappling with a big old Coloss. And has to tap even more strength to, like, crush its throat, which, you know, fun stuff. Sage is still hulked out. It's just like, I'm going through the strength really fast. Like, I've been saving this up for decades, not really using it, and it's just flying out at this point. And he's at Steelgate, which, if you look at the map, is actually across the river from all those other gates. So I was telling Dak, I don't know, are these, like, us swimming across the river, or maybe there's a bridge out there that they're using? But I, I just played forgot there was a river bisecting the city. Yeah. Well, and when he met up with Doxon earlier, and Doxon was like, I want you to go be at this gate. He's like, this is the farthest that they're likely to reach, so you might not even see any battle. Which, when he gets into the battle almost immediately, you're like, well, what the heck was he talking about? And then looking at the map, I kind of get it. It is pretty yeah. far from those other gates and across a river. But uh, he's leading his people, fighting, and eventually gets this idea when he realizes that the gate is open, but not really, like, destroyed. And they can only they only opened half of it and they can only come in a few at a time. So he kind of runs up there, starts kicking bodies out of the way and taps into his iron mind where he has been saving weight and becomes so heavy that he can push the gate closed and keep it closed against all the coloss pounding on the outside while they get like a big I almost said stick, but a big piece of wood in there to seal the gate again. And so this is just really a big long scene of say getting to be a badass fighting people squishing coloss throats and things i did really enjoy seeing the way sazed used everything that he'd been storing up though i like I, I, we've seen some pretty cool stuff with him using his weight earlier in the book but it's just little ways that i wouldn't have thought made sense but it's like oh yeah make yourself really heavy it's been hard to push through like it just made sense yeah like, yeah that's that's really cool when when the, he talks about storing weight early on in the book i'm 
in my brain, I'm like, well, how would you ever like wh- what reason would you have to be heavier most of the time? Like if I'm storing if, if I have this power, I'm probably walking around like all day, every day, just storing a little extra weight. So I'm lighter. And then you fill up like a metal mine with like a year's worth of extra weight and then you throw it away because what am I ever going to use that for? This, this is what you even have a similar thought. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Like normally it's just a happy sort of side product of making myself lighter. But yeah, I would agree. It's kind of like Allomancy. If you're clever enough, there's all sorts of cool stuff that you can do. And that's kind of actually the way that they sometimes describe uh, this trilogy is that the first book is like largely about Allomancy and the second book is a lot more about ferrochemy and you learn more about ferrochemy in this one, which may be true. I, I can see it probably not at the expense of the Allomancy. We still learn a lot more about that too. It's just true. additional to it. And Sazed has like 50 of his guys left from the uh, 400 that they left him in the first place. So it hasn't been going great for him. But uh, not as bad as apparently Tindwell's Gate. So, although we found out later that she was kind of leading her people in a retreat, so it may be that she like gave up the idea of holding it well before Sazed did the same. I love his thought. It was like it fell an hour ago. How long has this battle been going for? What the hell? That is funny. And I was thinking, I'm like, I feel like most books when they talk about that, like you feel like you've been fighting for five hours, and it turns out it's been ten minutes. And yeah. this one's like the opposite. But Sazed isn't used to any of this, so. Yeah, but he finds out that her that Tindwell's gate has fallen, but he can't really do anything about that because his gate is uh, not too far behind at this point. And then he hears the board snap and men yelling and we cut to clubs. So clubs and breeze are having to pull back from zinc gate. They can't hold it any longer. But then they meet up with another group of Coloss as they're retreating who came in from the north. And they're like, oh, crap, that's not good. And this is where we lose uh, our good friend clubs. Which was sad, but. Yeah, as we've said, not entirely unexpected. Yeah, you guys have been calling that most of the book, that we're probably losing clubs at some point. Just, yeah, just the amount of character development and um, and the story that story focus on him that we've got in this book. It's kind of like, a yeah, he's, we're definitely setting this guy up for something good. And yeah, he dies saving Breeze, who, when we first saw clubs, he was hating on Breeze, so. Yeah, it's true. It was also sad that he did have a goodbye to Spook. I just kept thinking about that, that he did actually take the time out before Spook left to say goodbye. And yeah. and then it really was goodbye. I was like, oh. It was kind of foreshadowing, I guess, when Spook yeah. explains, he's like, Clubs was saying goodbye to me. Like, I could tell. Yeah. And Breeze does not handle that very well. He crawls into a building and hides, which, to be fair, is probably about where Ribri should be in a battle. Let's Let's be honest. Yeah, he's going to have some serious trauma throughout uh, the last few chapters and then the next book. Yeah, he's not doing well after. Like, this is the last time we see him even kind of doing well. Uh, It it doesn't go well for him the rest of the chapters we read. And then we cut to Dachshund, who's sitting there grumbling about how this is all Kelsier's fault as he's, like, scribbling stuff and the scribes are all running. Yeah. He's just grumbling. (laughs) Good old Dachshund. It's like our real problem is follow through. <laughs> and this scene is the one that really made me mad. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, so I've, I'm, you know, I, I always, I really liked Dawson through the first book. And I was not, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get much of him throughout this book. Um, yeah. Looking back now, it's like that was to make him one of the prime suspects in the whole spy subplot, which is totally fine. Like, it was a good call. 
but once that was all resolved, I was hoping, okay, maybe we'll actually now get to see more of Doxon doing stuff um, and, and you know, just, yeah, having having more of a character focus on him. And instead, oh, no, he's dead. Yeah. And not only and not only that, he died chewing out his uh, his dead best friend. And I'm like, is that really the note we want to leave this guy on? Uh, he was always, like, the guy who grumbled about stuff but was really good-natured at the same time. So I think it kind of fits him. But, yeah, I agree. It's kind of a sad well, moment to leave him on. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's just we haven't seen much of his good nature this book because he spent a lot of it sniping at Ellen mm. again fair enough because he has he has his issues with the nobleman um but the fact that he ends the story he ends his story on that note really, really rubbed me the wrong way it's like have i like, is he really good natured or is he actually just like a complainer like much like the thing with ham a few chapters ago i was like have i just misjudged this character the whole time mm, yeah. um and, and now looking back i'm just thinking of all the possibilities we could have had with this character that we never had like we never really saw him reacting to his best friend's death in the first book. And I thought that, you know, maybe at some point we would have had him and Vin as the two closest people to Kelsey are commiserating a bit. Uh, maybe they could have had a bit of a closer relationship as a result of that. And no, they didn't. Like, Doxon just went and did his thing. And again, like, it makes sense for the spy subplot. But once that wrapped up, I'd hope that maybe we get more Doxon and actually see him doing his stuff. And instead, he's just he just got tossed aside. It's like, I feel a bit like maybe Sanderson just didn't really know what to do with him anymore, so he thought, all right, you're good enough to sacrifice. And that, yeah, that bothers me a bit. Yeah, I could see that. Doxon is one of these characters that seems really interesting that you always want to know more about, and then we never really do. I, I think that's part of the reason that I dislike these chapters as well. We have some pretty important characters die, and I don't feel like... And I understand there's a battle going on, and there's more to do, but I feel like we don't get... I feel like these characters weren't done justice in their deaths, mm. which, you know, and maybe that's Sanderson's points like death is sometimes an ugly and well, it's always ugly, but, you know, it, it's sometimes an not only ugly, but but also an event that has has no dignity to it. So I feel it just felt kind of gross. Mm. So that was it was kind of hard for me to read that those parts. Well, and it's interesting you say that because actually I was going to bring out some stuff from the annotations about this section. So he talks a lot about how he wrote like this, the sage stuff, the sazed. I can't talk stuff in this section. And he thought it turned out really well. And he was trying to write, you know, from this different perspective on a battle, which we talked about a little last time. But he's like the 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 contrast of the quiet religious scholar in the middle of this terrible war was really fascinating to me so fascinating actually that i forgot to write ham into any of the scenes in these chapters i didn't remember him until chapter 55 and it was then that i remembered that the best warrior in the group had disappeared for the entire fight so i wrote him in and added him to the chapter where sazed gets to breeze and he says you'd be surprised how often writers do things like this forgetting a character it's tough sometimes to keep track of where everyone is in a complex plot and so I thought that was funny that he completely forgot Ham until uh, later on. And I think you can kind of tell in the way that Ham shows up in these chapters. Yep. But he also talks about clubs and Dachshund dying. And so I'm going to skip some of this, but th th this part is the part that will probably bother people the most. So I got to talk. I got to hit this. He says, the simple truth is that I felt I had too many characters in the books. I couldn't flush them all out and I really needed to get rid of a few. Uh, and he's like, OK, I didn't just kill them because there were too many characters cluttering the story. That was one of the reasons. 
but I knew that we couldn't go into the siege without losing some characters. It wasn't realistic. The characters had dreaded this conflict so much and felt it was so dangerous that some people had to actually die. Oh, I totally accept that, you know, it's a battle. People are going to die. We've known that going in. I have no issue with you doing that to some characters, but do it characters who you have taken the time to develop and deal with. Like, mm. I don't have a problem with clubs dying. I love clubs, but this seemed like a logical point for him to go. Totally get that. Dachshund just hasn't done anything this book. Yeah, and I think this next part, you might have hated this even more. if Because he says, uh, you know, Dachshund was another one that I decided to kill. In the initial draft, the scene with him dying ends up with a Coloss killing him from behind without him looking at it. My alpha readers complain profusely about this. So at the request mainly of my friend Scar, I let Dachshund grab a sword and charge before dying. But he also yeah. – he, he feels that also the way that he – Dachshund ends up by being like, you know, if we had done and killed all the nobility and everything, we would have been no better than beasts is his way of acknowledging that they'd done the right thing and is a little bit of redemption for him because he's tried to work very hard with the noblemen during this time to make up for the atrocities he committed during his younger years. Which, hey, that's a story that I would like to hear more about. Yeah, it's like that would be fine if we'd seen more of that coming in. Yeah. It's like this is, I mean, really, Doxon's had maybe four moments this whole book. It's when he tells Ellen he's been booted out of the the kingship, when he has the conversation with Vin when she's trying to root out the spy, like the conversation where they decide to send Vin and Ellen out of the city, and then this bit here where he dies. It's like Doxon has just, he's barely been in the book. And it bothers me that he just got thrown away like that because he was a major player in the first one yeah well but even in the first one like we never get that much development like depth from him we get current kind of surface personality stuff and he's fun and he's definitely a major part of the crew but he's still not like we don't get a lot of depth there and so it is disappointing that we kind of never get that maybe it's just because he was so present in the first book and he's so not in this one yeah he also says that the final reason that he knew that Doxon and Clubs had to die was because he wants to really try to make you think that Sazed is going to die too. If everything is working right in these chapters, you're sitting there knowing that Vin is going to arrive in time, yet questioning and worrying. You see Clubs drop and then Doxon die in rapid succession. And then we come to Sazed and he falls out of metals, out of hope. And that makes it more dramatic when Vin shows up. And that does work. I'll give it that. So did, uh, I I'm did, ask, did you guys feel like that? Like Sazed might die? No. <laughs> No, no, there's no no way he was going to kill Sage. I mean, it didn't look good, but that just made me sort of more convinced that Vin will turn up now. Yeah, I I didn't, especially after Jamie's breakthrough theory last week. I was like, there's no way Sage is going to die. I was about to say, Jamie can't abandon Sage after her theory from last week. It's just like, wait a second. If of course <laughs> that would absolutely be the irony that happens with our show, right? There would like be a giant theory centered around this person, and the very next chapter they would die. Yeah, I would have been annoyed because I put a lot of thought into that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we've we've almost had too much sazed to get rid of him now. Like even when Mm. we lose Tindall, it's like, whoa, okay, I I didn't think that would happen right now either. But, yeah, sazed, you you couldn't just write sazed out now. No, yeah, I agree. It, It would kind of be insane. And I, I like Doxon's note, like during his, like as he's scribbling and grumbling, he's like, man, who would have thought Sazed's gate would be the last one standing, right? Yeah. And then we cut back to Straff after Doxon's untimely death, which I, I kind of like that he gets to stand up and charge a guy, although he's completely ineffective. I was like, come on, let him cut, like, kill like one Coloss or something before, but whatever. Yeah. 
and uh, Gennaro is telling Straff, hey, look, you can uh, the Colossus penetrated all but one of the four gates under attack. We could totally take them. And Straff's like, nah. Now now he's pissed off. He's like, you know what? Let them kill all of them. Let them burn everybody. Fire can't hurt our Adium. And Gennaro's not thrilled about that, which caused Straff to be like, to think, I'll have to take care of him later. He'll rise against me. Oh, that's your answer for everything. Right? It works so well with Zane that, yeah, let's do this guy too. Mm. And then we cut to Set, and they're watching the battle. And Alrian's like, hey, let's go help. And Set's like, ha, ha, no, yeah, that's not happening. And he's like, what's going to happen is Straff is going to come in and start killing Kolos, and we're going to help him and then submit to him and hope that he doesn't kill us. Because that's the only person who has a chance of winning in this situation. Which, from a preservation side of things, if you're just trying to preserve your people and your, oh my god, I can't word. Your group. Kingdom? Kingdom, oh, okay. yes, thank you. <laughs> That's what yeah, I mean, that that makes total sense. Like, you would sit back and help the winner and just hope that they do right by you. That's the only way. I mean, it's not like they've got anything to go back to either at this point. So, oh, yeah, you found that out. He, he's resigned to our life changes from here forward. We just want to make sure we pick the winning side. But she's very disappointed in him. She's like, I thought you were a good man deep down. And he's like, no, the good men are all dead. They died in that city. And we're back to Sazed, and he's fighting. But he starts to run out of strength, and he falls down, and a Coloss is standing over him about to kill him. And that is when a twinklet, a twinkling droplet of light sparkles in the beam of sunlight and hits the Coloss in the back of the skull. And you've got the, the small figure silhouetted by the sun. Vin has come back. Yep. Cue the music. <laughs> and it strikes me as kind of ironic that it turns out that the all those uh, people standing in the when states like, no, you guys got need to get out of here. You're going to die. They were right. And they had no business being right in this situation. <laughs> Definitely not. And they I were doubt because right Spook fucked up. I doubt that Vin even knew that Says was at that particular gate. That's just the one she showed up at. Yeah, and I was me and Dak were talking about that before the episode when we were looking at the map. Is like she was coming from the northwest, and it just happened that Says was at the northwest gate, the one pointing the direction that she's coming from. I'm sure that was by design. Well, yeah, by Brandon's design, but not like in in world. Well, it's like a coincidence. Well, it. it, it... Well, I guess it's just coincidence in the fact that that happens to be the direction she left and was returning from, because you know, we said before, Doxon made a point of sending Says to the gate that was the least likely to come under attack, yeah, because uh, it was across because it was across the river. So, in that regard, it makes sense that that's where she drops in. But I guess. And then Vin, uh, she starts taking people out, and she's like using the the hinges on the giant wooden gate to swing the gate around and squish Coloss and it just, you know, she's being a badass, just like Vin is always a badass. So, and says, it's like, okay, well she's taking care of these guys. I should do something. And he goes up, he's like, so you guys were right. And the guy's like, uh huh. Yes. Holy first witness. And says like, okay, yeah, but we still need to run because the Coloss are going to kill everybody. And thankfully, the guy agrees with him. He's like, okay, let's go out the northern gate. That's where they first came in, so maybe they've moved on. And then we cut back to Breeze, who's like, so, it turns out that I'm a coward. And he's, like, sitting in a ball, basically, hiding in this little house. Yeah. And he's, like, they kind of talk about it later. He's in shock at this point, but I think the 
more interesting thing is what they talk about here in a second. The soldiers say he was still soothing them. And I'm like, so even when he's in shock, like subconsciously, he's still soothing people. Yeah. He's so used to it. And it may be that it's like that's what he was doing. And that's the only thing he can concentrate on is continuing to do the thing that he was doing. But like they the soldiers are actually like, oh, no, man, he's he's so amazing. Like even in the middle of this battle, like he took cover and then helped us. But he doesn't give himself a lot of credit. But that's probably because, yeah, like you say, he's kind of in shock. He's just sitting there like, I'm a coward. And Ham is like, dude, I don't – my gate's down. Say's gate's down. We don't know anything about anybody except for Clubs is dead. We need to know what to do. And Breeze is like, I can't even talk. He's just thinking, don't ask me. <laughs> he's like, it's quite all right if you just leave me here, he thinks to himself. And they decide to make their way to keep hasting, which is uh, where the king has holed up. And that's the end of the chapter is Breeze thinking to himself about, like, how horrible everything is, basically. It's like, I just want to lie down here and fall asleep and forget everything. And so in our next chapter, the epigraph is uh, about how he's like, I made sure I told Rasha Kings to be a Lindy's guide through the mountains. And this is where I started thinking about what we talked about last episode. It's like, but everything says, like, it's up in the mountains. And I started thinking, oh... Maybe that's why they were up in the mountains. Quan sent them on a like on a fake out, and then the next epigraph after this says that's exactly what happened. I've gone, God damn it! <laughs> he does tell him, that, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, and and we've read that before too. I think where he's like, I, I've tried to get him to mislead him, but if that doesn't work, then he's supposed to kill him. So, yeah, but I think we'd never covered the fact that oh yeah, he, yeah, he sent them to the mountains because that's the exact opposite direction of where he's meant to go. Mm. Well, we cut to Vin, and Vin is just killing lots of Coloss. I mean, she's doing a good job of killing Coloss, but there's lots and lots of them. And she's using one of their swords, a sword that we find out later is, like, taller than she is. But no matter how many she kills, there's always more of them. So, and she, she doesn't have enough metal to last forever. So it's not... I, I did love the note. It's like, the Coloss doesn't matter how many of them... Uh, like how many they watch her kill, they're always surprised when when she comes for them. Because she's like, she is she is tiny, she cannot hurt us. Size does matter. Yeah, and it makes sense the way she explains it, where it's like in a fight between Coloss, like the bigger one wins. That's how it works. Yeah, Vin is not from their world. No. And we cut to Sage yelling at Lord Penrod, like, dude, you have to come out and listen. And I like that the same messenger from before. Uh, who is coming to meet Sazed is uh, still helping out. He lost his horse somewhere, but they found him with some of the survivors. Uh, Keep Venturous Fallen. Lord Doxon uh, is dead. And they're like, okay, we all have to get out of town. That's the only thing we can do at this point. And Penrod is not really interested in helping. And he's, he starts talking to Sazed about how Sazed was fighting. He's like, man, I've never seen a terrorist fight. And he's like, man, everything is falling, but I'm not going to abandon the city. And by the way, you can't run. We've already we can see from up here they've already killed the people you sent to run out the northern gate before so you're not escaping and we're not letting the refugees in here my only consolation is i i doubt ellen could have saved the city either and then he just turns and walks away and doesn't come back dick move it really does come off that way but uh, he says in the annotations about this conversation penrod by the way is shell-shocked he's not thinking clearly and he's lost it because of the horror of what he's seen and been through. He was at one of the gates when they fell. He didn't just hide in the keep the whole time. And I think that's most evident when Vin comes and she's like on top of like a 
Coloss is holding her up and she tells him to do all this stuff and he doesn't question anything. He's just like, okay. Yep. Yeah, it really shows you that he's not like thinking a whole lot right now. Uh, like the the dick move, I th- like in my head was the whole like not the whole refusing to take in the refugees. Like again, cold, but I understand it. It's more just like taking the time to just throw in a dig at Ellen. It's like, yeah, I don't think he could have done any better. It's like, is that really <laughs> what you're thinking about right now? And we cut back to Vin. She kills a bunch more coloss, and she runs out of metal. And she's she does some cut, jumping around, and there's some different bits here, but. What it comes down to is the Coloss are still killing lots of people, and she sees one pick up a small girl and slam her against the side of a building. And Vin doesn't have any metal anymore, but she can't she can't watch that. So she goes in to fight. And he mentions in the annotation that he felt it was important to show her fighting without powers, show that she's still good, even without metal. She's a dangerous person. The metal just makes her very dangerous. And when she's finally out of everything, except for one thing, she comes up with an idea. And she soothes at them with Duralumin. And she takes control of them, just like she did Tensun earlier in the book. See, okay, so this is where I have a big problem. And maybe it's explained later. This is another thing I really didn't like about these chapters. I I get the similarities. She's somehow controlling them. But when she does it to Tensun so completely, it's like she's in behind his eyes. And this doesn't seem to be the case with this, because she's controlling a bunch of them. She can't possibly be in every single one of their minds behind their eyes. It doesn't make sense to me. So mm, yep. I don't really understand what's going on here. It doesn't really feel like it's explained very well. And also, I mean, some people might disagree with me because they have talked about in the past Lord Ruler controlling Kolos and things like that. I don't feel like this is earned. Like, I feel like mm. this is a really bad deus ex machina, in my opinion, that's not... It, <sighs> It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but that's fair. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't, it says, let's see, uh, she could feel herself in their minds as if they were an extension of her own body. The same thing she'd felt when she took control of Tensun's body. So yeah, I guess that means she's got a bunch of different branches in her mind, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard to kind of wrap your brain around. Well, maybe it's like the Adium thing, because I remember I had a problem when they first explained how you're supposed to keep up with all these different Adium shadows going everywhere, but they right. said something, something to do with burning the metal makes your brain able to comprehend what's going on. So it could be a right. similar thing to that, maybe. Or else it could but be I'll... that the Coloss just aren't as complicated like mentally as uh, mm. Kandra is, because like yeah. they're, they're not as right. bright, so maybe it's easier to control more than one at the same time. Right. Another thing that doesn't make sense to me is that the Duralumin, if I'm understanding it correctly, uses it all up at the same time. Yeah. So if you run out of the metal, how are you still controlling the creature? That, that part, didn't. yeah, that part I don't understand either. Like, I don't understand how that works. Yeah. Um, so there's just some problems with it for me that I've, I need explained. But again, we've constantly been finding out throughout the series that, that Alamancy doesn't work the way that everybody thinks it works. Right. So maybe there is an explanation, um, but for right now, I'm just kind of un- I was I was unsatisfied with this turnaround. But I mean, it's still really cool. It's a, it's an awesome idea, but it just felt like obviously this was not an easy win for them. It was hard fought, but it was easy won once Vin got there because of this. I feel like mm. so I just feel weird about it. It didn't feel like it fit with. Um, but anyway, was uh, maybe there's an explanation further on down the line. It's kind of like Justice League. It's, it's like everyone's fighting their hardest, but as soon as Superman shows up, well, that's 
it battles over. Why? Why were the rest of us here? Yeah, no, that's 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 kind of fair. Except that you know, Sup- Vin fought the normal way that everyone expected she would have fought, and she would have died if she couldn't have come up with this trick at the last moment. Yeah, but yeah, you're right that I mean it is it's not super well explained. The only thing that we get is that she soothes at them and feels her mind slam into capital S something, and then that capital S something shattered, and all of a sudden she had control of them. So that's not much of a description or explanation of how this works. It's extremely vague and uh, seeming it looks like kind of intentionally so at this point. She doesn't understand what she's doing any better than anyone else, yeah. except that she's exploiting the same flaw that she found in the Chandra. And in uh, in the annotations here, he says, let's see. Uh, so Vin shows up. She's safe, saved, but she still needs to save the city. And now that she's arrived in time, I believe most readers are expecting her to succeed. The only question now is how she'll do it. And she does it by soothing the Coloss. I think this is probably the easiest of the twists in the book. After all, I showed her doing the exact same thing to the Chandra and then told you that the Chandra and the Coloss are very similar. So this shouldn't be too much of a logical leap. If Vin hadn't been exhausted and overworked here, she probably would have figured it out earlier. So that's how he's thinking about it anyway. So then we cut back to Sazed and they're still kind of hanging around outside Key Pasting with Ham kind of not in great shape, like almost passed out, but not quite. And Breeze practically comatose and all of these other people that they found. And they're like, okay, well he won't let us in. What are we going to, and he said that we can't escape. So what do we do now? And then the Coloss start to approach and they're like, "Uh Oh, here we go. This is the end. And then the Coloss split and Vin just walks down the center. And she's like, Sazed, you lied to me. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I did. She's like, that's not important now. Why are you standing naked outside of the keep's walls? It's a full turnaround. He's asking her, she's asking him why he's naked. <laughs> That's a good point. She, it's happened enough to Vin. Uh, like, why are you naked? Who are you to judge? It's a life choice, you know? Just back up off me. And she's then she's just like, hey, Penrod, is that you up there? So I guess he's like hiding where she could kind of spot him or something. Like he wouldn't come out when Say's called, but he's hanging out up there where she can see him to call him out. Or maybe she just assumes that he, I don't know. She's like, hey, Penrod, is that you? And he she says to open the gates and he goes, are you mad? And she's like, I don't know. And has a Coloss pick her up and lift her up so that she's eye to eye with this guy. And she's like, I'm tired. He says, we're all tired. She's like, no, no, no. I'm tired in a different way. I'm tired of games, people dying for stupid shit, good men taking advantage, being taken advantage of. I'm tired of all of this. Send your soldiers out into the city. Find, protect people from the Coloss, but don't fight them. If you find a bunch of Coloss, send for me. I'll take care of them. In the meantime, we're going to get Keep Venture back because that's where all my medals are. And I need more of those because I'm out. And then Sazed says that he has something that he wants to do if he can be excused, please. And I don't know, what were you guys thinking about this? Like, what what, what was Sazed off to do in your head at this point? Oh, I I assumed he was going to go look for Tindwill because there was a bit before where he's like, uh-oh, what if, if that gate broke, Tindwill. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that's what I thought too. She's the only major player. We don't know where she is right now, so. Yeah, she's she became a major player of this book and didn't make it through. It's kind of sad for her. Uh, and she's like, "What happened to everybody else?" And he says, "You know, clubs and docks are dead, and you can see Ham here." And she's like, "Breeze, he lives, thankfully. His mind appears to be reacting poorly, though." And she's just like, "Ham, I need pewter." He's like, "Yeah, okay, here you go." I mean, it took Ham a while to even notice she was there, so like Ham is just wrecked. He's not all there at the moment, yeah. And 
Shay's noticed that when she takes the pewter, she's instantly working better. And he's like, how much of that stuff has she been burning? This cannot be good. This is like Straff and his drug that he's taking now. And I, I also like that no one is questioning, really. Like, no one has asked her, like, hey, what's up? Why are the Coloss working for you now? They're just all taking it in. Yeah, I think they're they're so weirded out by all of the events the events today. They're just like, uh, what? Uh, whatever. I'm too tired yeah. to ask questions. It's like I've nearly died 50 times. Like, all right, you control the trolls now. Whatever you do, you. <laughs> At this point, they've stopped attacking, so no yeah. one's gonna question it. <laughs> Don't look the gift horse in the mouth, right? No, yeah, it makes sense. And says so like, by the way, you, you know there's still an army out there, right? And she's like, oh yeah, I know what Straff is planning. It's fine. And Sazed apparently spends all night digging through frozen corpses because it's been snowing, looking for Tinwill and finds her just about morning, dead and frozen. He says it looks like she'd been leading her soldiers to keep Venture after her gate fell. And it kind of breaks him a little bit or a lot for the entire rest of the section that we read. No one is coming out of this battle real well. Ham is messed up. Breeze is messed up. Sazed is messed up by this. Even Penrod is messed up from what happened. I really he, felt for anyone who was left. Like, the horrors that they would have just seen. And the yeah. amount of people dying. That's just awful. And I just like, Sage realizes that he has all of these religions, and none of them is helping him feel better about Tindwell's death. Which, this this came off as, like, this actually reminded me way back in, like, his first chapter, where he's out in the village trying to teach people about religion, and it's like, that's not what they need. Mm-hmm. Like, this... It really seems like that, like that has just gone, has come back around onto Sazed, and he's just, you know, learned, uh, yeah, like at the end of the day, that stuff will not help you when the the awful stuff happens. Really, you know, not for not for a lot of people, not not even for Sazed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you might could argue that if he truly, if there was one thing that he truly believed in, maybe that would help. But he's got this. The clubs had pointed out earlier, like this thing that's like, you know, all religions deserve to be listened to and respected and he's like i kind of believe in them all which is the same thing as saying i don't really believe in any specific one which may be part of the issue i don't know yeah and the chapter ends with him thinking my life has been a sham it's it, it's sad when say is just sad is all, all i have to say there and we get to the next epigraph which dak was talking about where it's like rashak is supposed to lead alendi in the wrong direction discourage him or otherwise foil his quest alendi does not know he's been deceived that we've all been deceived and he will not listen to me now Foiling my plans. Foiling my plans and your plans. <laughs> Are you? Yes. I need an adult. I am an adult. DBZ <laughs> <laughs> uh, abridged. Classic. Classic. We cut back to Straff, who's like, you know what? Waking up in the morning is a lot easier now that I'm taking these drugs. This is awesome. Okay, dude. You know, whatever. He was beginning to see the benefits of his addiction. Ugh. Okay, now we're doing this. Not for long, though. No. Yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer guy anyway. <laughs> they, yeah, well, seriously. But they line up and they're like, hey, you know, we haven't even seen any Coloss lately. Maybe everybody's dead. And Strath's like, okay, good. Let's get ready to go in there and take over. And it looks like uh, then the Coloss start coming out and they're like, okay, well, it looks like they've lost like two thirds of their people. So that's good for us. They started with 20,000 or no, they've they have two thirds. They've lost one third of their people. They started with 20,000. That puts them down to what, like 13,000, somewhere in there, roughly. That's still a lot. Yeah, but Straff has 50,000 men. So, 
maybe it's doable. He seems to think that they can handle it. Yeah, but he's on drugs. Well, that's also true, yeah. But they're also abandoning the fortifications. They're not going to use the walls to defend the city, so that makes it easier. And then it's like, wait a second, wait a second. We're seeing human soldiers now. Looks to be several thousand of them. So more people than I expected actually have survived uh, the battle on the uh, on our our, for our friends' side. And Straff is like, what? They're all supposed to be dead. I love this little. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be at the front. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Like as they start to attack, his first thought is, maybe I shouldn't be in front. Coward. And then he sees something flying at him. He's like, whoa, there's an arrow coming. But wait, the Colossus don't use bows. Also, it looks too big to be an arrow. What, is that like a rock? And it's like, oh, no, it's a person. A person with a mist cloak. And then he yells no and thinks she's supposed to be gone. Yeah, it's a real evil villain moment where he's like, oh, no, my plans. I'll get (laughs) you, Gadget. Yeah, okay. And she has one of those big-ass Coloss swords, and it's flying through the air and comes down. And it describes how his horse falls into two pieces, front and back, after she's finished with her stroke. And the remnants of Straff is all that we really hear about him. He doesn't make it. It's one way to go. (laughs) Quite a golf swing on that girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um... I mean, this this um, Coloss wielding sword wielding business. I mean, that's got to be her trademark now, right? She's got the big sword. That's her thing. There is lots and lots of fan art of Vin walking around with one of those big ass swords. I will say, uh, it, it's a very popular image of her. <laughs> uh, okay, so the annotations here. He refers back to his earlier annotation. He's like, I told you I couldn't just let Straff die to a random poisoning. He's been an antagonist for far too long, surviving through two whole books. He deserved a sword to the head. He got a claymore. Yeah, that's exactly what he got. William Wallace taken a sword, and there's taken that. He says, there was a lot of conversation in my writing groups about how to describe Straff dying. The thing is, Vin pretty much chopped him in half. But I don't imagine a Coloss sword being that sharp... So I think it would kind of smash and crush as much as cut, particularly considering how hard Vin hit. Some disagreed and thought it should be a clean cut. And eventually, after trying several things, I went with this. It's abstract enough that you can imagine what you want. And I didn't want to be too graphic. Yeah, let's be graphic with clubs, but not with him. Really? Okay, whatever. I don't. I think there's a difference between clubs, like getting a sword through the arm and then into his side or whatever, and like describing the crushed squish remnants of uh straff we do get a description of his horse though falling into two pieces which is like dude the horse didn't do anything to anyone that was that was a lot collateral damage and Mm. then vin starts to kill uh the generals as the battle uh, as the troops meet in battle and we cut to set who's watching this whole thing and is like what the hell is going on down there how are how did they get the colt lost to work with them and all rand shows up and he's like, at least I can count on her to be slow in the morning because she has to get ready and like be immaculately dressed and hair done and everything. Uh, if the building, if a building were burning down, Aurian would still pause to do her makeup before escaping. This girl, it, you, it, it, you're making it really hard to like her. I was gonna say, are we supposed to root for her or? No, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie's like, no, I I can make an executive decision here. We're not going to be doing that. (laughs) 
veto. And so Aurian's like, well, hey, let's go help them. And Seth's like, no, 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 no. What's going to happen is they're going to fight each other, and whoever's left will be weak enough for us to kill and actually win. <sighs> Which totally sounds like Set. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's much more advantage for him than his other plan of help Strath and hope that he lets us live. And then Ariane's plan is, oh, yeah, well, watch me go down there and help. And if you want to save me, you're going to have to charge. She uses that a lot. You're going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to be your damsel in distress. You're going to have to do that. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's really a contrast to Vin's style in this book you can't you can't say that he uh doesn't write different sorts of uh women into his book because there's two very very different girls in this uh just in the section alone true one of them i I have a lot of time for the other one can't stand (laughs) (laughs) at least you can say this for set like if nothing else he does seem to be a good dad it when vin and zane attacked his uh his tower he was like trying to save his son and in this sure. case, he's like, even though his daughter pisses him off, he's like, yeah, we're not going to let her die. So, yeah, that's a good point. He cares about he's somebody. Not, he's not a terrible person. Just <laughs> yeah, well, he's not a good person, but. <laughs> no, like, he, there's, yeah, he's not exactly yeah, lovely, but I, I take him over Straff. Oh, oh yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Now that we know them both, absolutely. And in the annotations. What he says about this is, Set is a good man, he's also a bad man. He's a good man who thinks he has to be bad, and thinks that being harsh is the only way to secure his kingdom, and figures, since someone's going to do it, he may as well be the one to do it. Mm. But a piece of him hoped that he'd be able to find what he did in Luthadel, someone he could follow and someone he could respect. Which is kind of what he thinks about right here in this section, is he's like, why did I come here in the first place, really? Did I actually think I could take this city? Or was it because I was looking for something... Something like the power that I saw that night when Vin almost killed me. And how did they get the Kolos to fight with them? But when he's talking about he needs a confirmation of the stories, my mind just went to, oh, Sazed, Sazed, talk to this guy. He wants something to believe in. <laughs> what a perfect opportunity if Sazed wasn't horribly depressed. Yeah, well, this might snap him out of his funk. Yeah, you just need to, to, to preach religion to someone. It's good. You can preach survivorism to this guy right now. How Sazed got his groove back. <laughs> But honestly, I think the question, how did they get the Coloss to fight with them anyway? That's the game changer here that may have made his decision for him. Because it's like, if I found someone who can go out and get all the Coloss hanging around out here to work for them, then they're going to win. So I want to get in on the ground floor of that. And then we cut to Sazed, who's riding out uh, towards the battle. He's not going to fight. His metal mines are all empty, but uh, he needs to see what happens, even though he kind of it says he felt hollow. And he can't really care about stuff at the moment. Or sazed. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, he's thinking about these Hero of Ages prophecies as he comes out here. He was not royalty himself, but came to it eventually, which, yeah, there's Vin. The Hero of Ages was removed from the Terrace people. Well, I don't know how that necessarily fits. Uh, your your theory about how that sentence fits sazed works much better than it fits Vin, I think. And then he sees Set coming in to help. He commanded the forces of the world, King's Road to his aid. Eh, either way. I guess technically, right here, you could say that Set is writing to Sazed's aid just as much as Vin's. They're both on the same side. So Set is helping both of them. True. And the battle really doesn't go that long because Vin slaughters most of the leadership of Straff's army and they start surrendering. But 
Fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's why she did it. Well, especially going up against the Coloss, they probably didn't want to fight them in the first place. So, and uh, it turns out that Janarl is the one survivor, although he's hurt. And she has the Coloss drag him up and, like, plop him down. And Set also comes up, like the Coloss. Apparently a Coloss went to fetch Set, who rides with his people, but not in the front because he has to be, like, tied onto his horse because his legs don't work. And I like that she, Lord Gennaro, uh, whose leg is broken, introduces himself when she asks his name. And she's like, Straff is dead. You control this army now. And smart man that he is, he goes, no, I don't. You do. <laughs> it's a bit cruel said on your knees. His leg is broken. Right? It's mean. I actually don't know what part of his leg is broken. If it's like the lower leg, then on his knees might be more comfortable than. Uh, well, I think it said both his legs are broken, too. And it was like, and then I think it like describes that he kind of winced or something as he got down on his knees. Yeah, he's definitely in pain when he gets down. Yeah, it says the Coloss dropped him and he grunted in pain and bowed. Yeah, so, yeah, and I think Vin's just tired, otherwise she might not be so mean. Yeah. Yeah, she's had a rough day. She's had a rough, like, year at this point, it seems like. And she makes a fair point where he's like, no, no. Don't swear to me. Swear to the rightful heir of House Venture. He's in charge of you now. And Jarl's like, okay, whatever. I don't care. I, I swear loyalty to Ellen Venture. Which, I, I, that's fair. Straff died. Ellen is his heir. Ellen should be in charge of these this army. He's got a good claim there, I think. And then she looks at Penrod, and Penrod's like, yeah, yo, sure, yeah. Ellen Venture. I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I supported Ellen Venture before it was cool. <laughs> And then comes the conversation with Set, where he has to be contrary just because he's freaking Set. And he's like, what, you really think I'm, you expect me to do this? And she's like, yep. And he's like, well, what if I don't? And she's like, well, then I'll kill you. I'm not going to make your soldiers pay for what you did, but I'm going to kill you. Which is like, I I I really like that touch. She's like, no, no, your soldiers were just here because you were here. I will just kill you and let them just do as they do. Completely fair. And it fits with what Vin said earlier, which is like, I'm tired of people dying because of conflicts between their leaders. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. I think that that's this is a great moment for Vin, just showing what sort of person she's become. And I'm like, yep, I'm fully on board with this. Although when, when Set said, and if I refuse, I was expecting Vin to just point at the Coloss. <laughs> it, that's not even enough. Set is still being, he's like, Puh, a threat, huh? Ellen would never stand for such a thing. She's like, yeah, well, he's not here. You're dealing with me, and I kill people. It's a thing that I do. And he's like, well, yeah, well, what would Ellen tell me to say? He would never give in simply because someone threatened his life. And she's like, well, yeah, but he's a better man than you, and you're aware of this. And Seth's like, no, yeah, good point. All right. <laughs> well, you've got me there. And uh, so everyone swears loyalty to Ellen Venture. And then Vin's like, hey, Sazed, uh, give me a hand here. Just, you know, Ham and Breeze are down. I don't really have anybody else I can trust. Take care of all of this because I'm going to go sleep. And this is where it seems to really like land for Sazed, where he remembers the prophecy. He left ruin in his wake, but it was forgotten. He created kingdoms and destroyed them as he made the world anew. And he thinks we had the wrong gender all along. So he's pretty certain at this point. Yep. He is. He's going to be a he's going to be a mistaken announcer again. (laughs) He's going to go around (laughs) announcing stuff now. Uh, he, he mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, it's it's just too much of a coincidence that Vin could be the hero of ages. And I think, well, that's only because you know her. Yeah. Like, that's it's one of those things like where 
because we're aware of the main characters and say, oh, yeah, like it's too much of a coincidence that the like no one else figures this out. And it's like, well, you know, like it's the whole thing where people say, oh, how could no one ever figure out Bruce Wayne is Batman? He's rich and has no social life. It must be him. I was like, there are a lot of other people in this world that it could have been that we just don't see because they're not an important character to the story. Yeah. So like there are other there are potentially like he, like other candidates that could be the hero of ages, but we're just it's not a coincidence that it's Vin because just because we're the ones watching her. Like, come on, Sazed. I think he's. I, I feel like it's more. It's a coincidence that she could be the hero of ages when he's like the only person who actually has the information about the hero of ages. He's like, I found this mysterious thing hidden away in this place. I'm the one person who has the knowledge. What a weird coincidence that I'm also the one person who knows this girl. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, that's how prophecies work. If there's some sort of mystical force directing things, then it would have to unite the one person who knows about it with the person who could accomplish it, right? Otherwise, yeah. the prophecy doesn't happen. True. But anyway, I mean, you know, we, we as we established last time, there's still lots of good candidates who could be the Hero of Ages. Uh, we don't know for sure. Although, like I said, Says seems pretty certain at this point. I mean, no one fits it, you know, 100%. Mm. And we still have a history of, like, what part of the um, – the, the rubbing that got removed yep. as well. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Says knows what was written there, but th- there's other information we still need to know about this prophecy, I think, before we can say definitively, yes, this is true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's over for us yet. And obviously not. We have a whole other book um, yep. called The Hero of Ages. So. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. like this one's <laughs> called The Well of Ascension. We're going uh, to find yeah, out in the last, last like, page. Four chapters, we should find out. <laughs> uh, okay. In the annotations, he says, the thing is, Says doesn't really believe in the Hero of Ages anymore. The trick I had was to make how to make him perceive the scene here, lacking faith yet still curious. It's a difficult line to walk. So that's an interesting note that I think we kind of pulled out. But he also says, Ellen becomes emperor despite all his attempts to set up a democracy. He has the throne given to him by force. In a way, it's this isn't exactly betraying his wishes to let people do what they want. Ellen deserves this throne. Set came looking for someone to follow, and Ellen is actually the rightful heir to Straff's army. And Penrod, dot, 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 well, he was made a subject king beneath Ellen, so he didn't really lose his throne. It's a stretch, I know, and the Ellen from the beginning of the book would never have accepted it. The Ellen at the end, however, will take it and do the best for the people even if it hurts him to do so. So we don't actually get to see Ellen's reaction in these chapters. So that might even be a spoiler that he's saying like, he'll accept this, but I don't know that anyone was expecting him to show up and be like, nah, <laughs> I know like, you did a lot of work here, Vin, but eh. I think he's, he's grown into it. Even since he, since he lost his throne, mm. he's really, he's really stood up and is displaying so many traits of a good King. And, you know, I think now he's ready to do it. Whereas before he probably wasn't. Yeah, that's fair. He's definitely had to grow into the whole leadership thing, as we've seen. He's like Andy in Shawshank Redemption. It's like they had to send him to jail before he learned how to be a criminal. <laughs> King and criminal. Yeah, those go those go right together. I, I got you. <laughs> and so this is the end of part four. It takes us into the, or I'm sorry, part five. He, it says part four wrap up uh, in the annotations, and that messed me up, but no... Part six, Words in Steel, is about to start. So this was part five. He says that we've dealt with the major conflict that was raised in the first chapter. And so this marks kind of the pseudo ending of the book. The armies are defeated. The city's safe. However, there's still something to do. 
I had a lot of trouble deciding how to work separate climaxes in this book. Did I try interweaving them and have Vin looking for the Well of Ascension even as the Coloss were attacking? That seemed obvious, and I felt that one of the plots would overshadow the other. Beyond that, I worried that it would be a big, hard-to-follow mess. It is possible to have too much going on at one time. It would seem a bit like, as much as I love Lord of the Rings, the whole jumping back and forth between um, uh, the battle at Pelennor Fields with Frodo going into Shelob's lair like, was, and fighting this giant spider with Sam. Like, that was... It's like, oh, which conflict am I focused on right now? That's a good point. It's been a while since I read that. I remember Shelob being uh, one of the parts of that book that I found the most interesting, yeah. I feel like. Well, it was a bit different in the book because they because they really did break it up. It's like, you know, this chunk is dedicated to everyone else and this chunk is Frodo and Sam. Yeah. Um, so I, was, I guess I was thinking more of the movie in that regard. Where it's like, yeah, in the middle of the battle, let's cut to Frodo getting attacked by the spider. Okay, yeah, I know. Which, I know what you're all cool scenes, but yeah, interweaving him. It's like, oof, the battle's not done yet when we're taking a break from it. I think it may actually have been longer since I've seen the movies than it has been since I've read the books. Really? Yeah, there's, I have like, you know, all the extended versions. And so it's it's hard to want to sit down and watch just one of them. But to do all three, you want to you have to be wanting to commit a whole lot of time. So it just never comes around for me that often to be like, yeah, let's start watching those. I have yeah, to do it with yeah. the kids at some point, though. I don't think the kids have ever seen that. What are those movies rated anyway? Is that PG-13 or? I believe they're PG-13. They're, yeah, they're PG-13. One of them, maybe the first one is PG, but I think they're PG-13. It would make sense for the the second and third to be rated uh, more strongly than the first one. There's a lot more fighting Battle. happening. You know? Anyway, going into part six, Words in Steel, our last epigraph, that's the word. If Roshek fails to lead Alendi astray, I have instructed the lad to kill Alendi. And the thing is, he's trying to lead him astray. We know that. That's what he's supposed to do. We also know that he does kill him presumably because that failed because we know from the logbook he's like oh i the cave is right above me and i feel it the thumping so tomorrow's the end so presumably he actually made it to the wall of ascension is what the logbook at least leads us to think and that's why Rashek kills him because Rashek also takes the power at the well right so he must have gotten there at some point uh but it seems like it would be harder to lead him astray with the thumping being able to like give him direction but at the same time, we know that Finn isn't able to, like, locate the direction very well for the thumping. She just knew when it was getting softer versus stronger. So you're right. We really don't know what happens uh, at the end and around the well and when he dies. Like, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. And we cut to Elland, who we haven't seen in a little bit now. He's wandering around in the mists, hiking down the road so they can get back to uh, Luthadel. And Spooks, you know, scouting ahead. He's the... The Tin Eye, that's what he does. There's an interesting note here where it's like, Alamancers are uncommon even among the great houses, yet because of the way Straff treated him, Ellen always felt guilty that he hadn't been one. So maybe that's part of why his dad was such an asshole to him, although really his dad's just an asshole. So Yeah, Straff never needs a reason, <laughs> but he'll happily take one if it's given to him. Yeah. And then they run across a Mistwraith. Like Ellen hears something and Spook's like, oh, it's just a Mistwraith. Big goopy things related to Condra? Don't tell me you haven't read about them. This is very reminiscent of that scene with Kelsier and Vin from the last book where Vin's like, oh, my gosh, what? Miss Wraith. And Kelsier's like, yeah, it's just it, it probably is hoping we'll drop some trash for it to eat. It really smelled like this scene came across as a uh, remember these things. We haven't done anything with them in ages, but they still exist. Yeah, no, I get that. And I think now that you say that, give me a second to look at the annotations, because I think that's actually mentioned here. 
Yeah, I wanted to include a reference to mist wraiths in this book. They're a minor world element, but aspects of their origins are a piece of the puzzle that gets explained further in book three. So it kind of is like, yeah, I just wanted to throw a little thing in here because we haven't really seen these guys this book, and I didn't want you to forget they existed. Just exactly what you thought. Yep. There's also an interesting note in here where he's like, yeah, the mists are coming earlier in the day and they're staying later in the mornings. Ellen doesn't know this, but some of the very outer parts of the Empire already have mists that linger almost to the afternoon. So stuff's bad. They're not aware of quite how bad yet, but they get some information about how some stuff is bad in this chapter because uh, Spook has found a group of people. And when they go up to meet them, they find – oh, no, I'm sorry, before that, we, Ellen runs uh, headlong into our friend the Mist Spirit. And he's like, oh, crap, I'm going crazy. And see, it, and, and we get here that exact like we talked about before, whether or not he really believed Vin and how much faith he was stock he was putting in what she said about this mist spirit. And here he's like, Vin talked about this and she tried to tell me about it. And I thought she was making things up, like not even like I thought she was imagining things or crazy. I thought she was making right. things up, like intentionally just inventing random shit. Dude, why would your wife make stuff? Yeah, I really thought we were past this. <laughs> Maybe he just phrases it weirdly here, but that really gets me. It's like, oh, yeah, she just invented the Mist Wraith, or the Mist Spirit, just for funsies. Yeah, I actually actually wondered if this is even the same one, because mm. when Vin talks about the other one, it says, you know, there's hatred in its eyes and, so, and everything. Whereas this one, it seems like it's trying to tell Ellen something. It's like, hey, I need you to do this for whatever reason, unless it's trying to. Oh, yeah. send him to Terrace, as it turns out, because that's where the Inquisitors are hiding. But, mm. but you know, from everything we've learned, these things can do their own killing, so I wouldn't need to send him to the Inquisitors to kill. So, I mean, Jamie's theory about, it, you know, being of various dead Mistborns might hold true, and this could be a completely different one from the one that tried to stab him earlier. Yeah. Or it might be that Vin misattributes like this emotion in the thing's eyes when it, it's a figure made of mist. So it might be hard to say that. And she might be kind of projecting there when she says that. But then again, it also fair. try to stab him as far as we know. So in the annotations, he says the mist spirit does not want Ellen to go to Luthadel. And yes, it is using Alamancy on him, influencing his emotions as it's done several places through the book. Tase. So, on Ellen specifically or... It, it does not say. No. I read that as like it's influenced people's emotions, probably Vin, because that's who we've seen run into it. But you could read it that other way. Yeah. And uh, it kind of disappears when Spook shows up. So I guess it, it doesn't want to be too popular. Or just doesn't want to talk to him. <laughs> I don't like that guy. He's spooky. Yeah, it's the missed ghost of Kelsier. And he's just like, eh, I don't like Spook. <laughs> <laughs> That would be mean. I feel like I Spook kind of like hero worships Kelsier. I always feel like Kelsier's on my side about that. He's like, Lester Borns is all right. <laughs> we got to call him Spook, though. That's yeah. that's too much of a name. I left my Spook rap at work, so I haven't been able to work on it anymore. Oh, I like that you had it at work. I want somebody to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Just reading, it's like, what is this? But they run into refugees from Terrace, the very people that they were going to ask for help from, are retreating south to Luthadel to look for help, because all of the Keepers yeah. are dead. Yeah, and again, this was another thing that kind of annoyed me. It's like, oh, we just find out the whole Synod's dead. Cool, so we don't even get to see the Synod. Great. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, we were really looking forward to that and all of Tindwell's uh, Alamancer children showing up. Or not Alamancer, Ferrochemist, I'm sorry. I still want that. Like, especially, you know, now that T- Tindwell is gone, it seems like the children showing up and, like, maybe just blaming Sazed for it could be a Ooh. interesting wrinkle. That's true. But if any of them actually had powers, I mean, he didn't say the Cyanot is dead. He says the Keepers are dead. All the people with these powers who were keeping, you know, this knowledge, they're all gone. Oh, yeah. I thought well, the I, Keepers I, were the Cyanod, and I thought they specifically said Cyanod, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, at first, the first thing they say are the Keepers are dead, my lord, and then later we talk about the Cyanod. But the Cyanod are like, it's like the leadership group of the Keepers. Yeah, I just assumed they were also Keepers. Yeah, I think they all are all Keepers. So if all the Keepers are dead, then it follows that the Cyanod is dead. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Except for Tindwill, uh, according to this guy, which they none of them know that she is also dead, but... I got to agree with Ellen. It's like I find it hard to believe they could have been easily defeated. It's like, yeah, I think that's probably so. There's got to be some survivors. Well, and he does say that there was a lot of traveling keepers. Like Sazed was in the south working with people and teaching stuff, which is you would think what most of the keepers are doing since that was their whole thing was once Lord Ruler was gone, they would be giving all this knowledge back. So maybe it's an exaggeration to be like they're all gone. But the ones that were up there in the terrorist capital are gone. Yeah. He says they're all either dead or captured. So I guess theoretically there could be some captured ones still alive. Yeah. Also, this could be what the terrorist men did for ages and pretended the keepers were all gone so the Lord Ruler wouldn't snuff them out. So mm, Yeah, that's true too. They, they could have just fallen back on that habit. It's like, no, no, tell everyone we're dead so that, you know, no one can come after us. But he tells they tell Ellen that the Synod came out of hiding and into the open once the Empire fell and became the leaders of the terrorist people. <laughs> Perhaps it was not wise to reveal themselves so soon. And not all terrorist men are ferrochemists. In fact, very few are. The Keepers, like Says and Tinwell, had been forced into hiding because he didn't want Lord Ruler didn't want ferrochemy and Alamancy to mix. We know this from the previous book. Yeah, and Ellen's like, hey, I doubt that they go down easy, right? And the old man's like, yeah, but it was Seal Inquisitors, though. Dozens of Steel Inquisitors. Dozens is a lot. That's a scary word. Especially considering last book led us to believe there are only like 20 or so in the yeah. final empire. Marsh yeah. took so out, have their numbers, what, what, half of them? Yeah, well, eight. But have their numbers grown because there were lots of bodies in that uh, right? yeah. place? Could be. Yeah. Oh, and also they, their recruitment game. they also attacked with an army of Coloss. Just throwing. So it, it's not good. Which I guess yeah. makes sense because they know the secret of aluminium. So they maybe knew Duralumin as well. And so okay. they probably, yeah, like, you know, they're in with the Lord Ruler who knew how to control the Coloss. Maybe they also know how to do it. I, yep. I mean, I guess this would all but confirm that. So basically, Terrace is in ruins now. And they're like, hey, do you know King Venture? We were hoping that he might take us in. Uh, we can serve. We were prideful to declare ourselves free, I think. That's sad guys um, yep. we can still be free and oh, ellen's like yeah so that might not be gonna work for you because the coloss also attacked luthadel and they're like hey but what about uh what about tindwell like you know she's the only member of the synod still out we we aren't certain how many traveling keepers there are but she's the only one of the synod who's out of the city when we were attacked so yeah basically she's their leader now or would be if she was not also dead so this may this may actually be a big step closer to what Jamie said last time coming true, where she was like she felt like Sazed was going to end up in charge of the terrorist people at some point, and this kind of yeah, seems well, to lead that yeah, way. Possibly. 
but they're nice to them and they're like, hey, sit around our fires, have some whatever it is they give them to drink. I don't know. Like I said, it was tea. Mm. And Spook has a bit where he's like, I wish they'd take down all these fires. The light hurts my eyes. Turn down your tin, bro. <laughs> yeah. Freaking idiot, I'm telling you guys. It's like <laughs> there, are, there are people lost in the wilderness, freaking out because their home has been destroyed, and you're worried because your eyes are watering. And what he says in the annotations here, the reason I even mentioned that, was he's saying there's some foreshadowing going on with Spook here. Burning tin as strongly as he does, as consistently as he does, is not good for his body, and he's doing serious damage to it. But he's grief-stricken and confused and feels like he's been sent away from important events because he's useless. Reminding himself, oh, so you're saying he's going to go blind, so that's why we have to feel bad for him? He's going to go blind later? <laughs> reminding himself of his allomantic power is one of the ways he's dealing poorly with his uncle's death. So he has reasons, and they're sad reasons, but you know. And he's like, well, whatever, they're just wasting wood. And Ellen's like, dude, just shut up. He doesn't say that. He probably should have said that. Ellen does the Uncle Iroh thing. It's like, here, have some calming tea. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Iroh's always good about that. And yep. so, but they get to the point where they're like, okay, so wait, then went, because they, they assume that Luthadel's fallen. They didn't know that, you know, Straff was asleep for four days or whatever, and the Coloss didn't attack right away. As far as they know, as soon as they left, the Coloss killed everybody. So they're like, we sent Vin to get, you know, get any survivors, and we were all going to meet up and go and seek refuge in Terrace. And Spook's like, yeah, we can't go there now. There, That's where in, there be Inquisitors there. And Ellen's like, yeah, I know. So they don't have anywhere to go as far as they know. Although we know that uh, things are much better off than they think. Well, the chapter ends with Ellen thinking, like, the deepness coming back, ghosts in the mist, and Inquisitors making a play for the terrorist dominance. What else have I been ignoring? Because he kind of has. He was so caught up in, like, the politics of his one city that when Vin tells him stuff about a mysterious ghost spirit thing that keeps following her, he was just like, ah, whatever, she's making it up. Because There's everything else she said, not yet. <laughs> uh, he says he trusts her, and then we get stuff like that where he's like, oh, I thought she made that up. Bugs me a little bit. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's been ignoring important stuff that is happening, and it's looking like it's going to bite him in the ass. Like, I, I feel like the whole making things up side of things as well is kind of weird when you consider he told off Tinwell because Tinwell's like, yo, your, your wife thinks she's the hero of ages, and Ellen's like, well, she says that I believe her. Right. It's like, All right, you'll accept that, but not the Miss Ghosts. I think the ghost was like one step too far. He's like. Okay, maybe there's some sort of mystical energy. The lore ruler is proof that there's some way to touch this godly power because he did that, right? So maybe there's some sort of logic here. But a ghost is like a whole other thing in his brain. Maybe. That's my theory. Yeah. Anyway. Tell that to the ghost hunters. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's where we leave off. We are three chapters and one epilogue from the end of this book. And that's... It seems like there's so much left, right? Yep. Although the battle's done. It's, it's just one episode left for us in this book, isn't it? Yep. Next episode. Last episode of The Well of Ascension. Damn. So I guess just go ahead and say that. For anybody uh, who's following along, for next week we're going to be doing 57, 58, 59, and the epilogue and wrapping up this book. But in the meantime, predigments. And I think uh, Dak went last last time, so he can go first this time, I guess. What do you got? Everything that's going on, the whole, you know, uh, rush, like in in the annotation, in the, annotation, the epigraphs with 
Quan sending Rushek to lead to lead them astray, to lead Lindy astray, uh, and Lindy still somehow wound up at the well, or at least we potentially wound up at the well. I think I, I think there might be some merits. Jamie and I were talking yesterday about the well and the potential it has to move locations. So I what I think might have happened is I I feel like maybe they did find the well up in the mountains and then it moved down to uh Clenium and maybe that's where Elendi was like killed or whatever. And then Rushek mm. followed the followed the well back down south and that's where he gained the power potentially. That doesn't really gel with my main pred- uh, prediction for this episode, which is I think definitely either Alendi or Quan is still alive uh, in some fashion. I don't know how. Maybe that maybe one of them is the Mist Ghost, or or maybe like I think I mentioned Alendi was like frozen to a wall somewhere, or well, like an ice cube, or like the second parts of the Caribbean movie. There was that member of Davy Jones's crew who was like stuck to the wall, oh, holding yeah, yeah, a lantern. You, you become part of the ship uh, over time. Yeah, right? like. Yeah, maybe like that. Maybe Alendi is just stuck to a rock face like that, or else maybe Quan is. I don't know, but like I don't know which of them. One of them I think is still alive, and I think the book is going to end with Vin meeting them somehow, and and that's going to set up like because then once we meet them, we're finally actually going to hear what the prophecy is because Quan has gone on about how, how the prophecy that Alendi is going for is not the prophecy that was originally told, and so. The only way we're going to find out what the prophecy actually was was um, by hearing it from someone who was there. And since Quan doesn't seem to have taken the time to, you know, carve that into a metal sheet, <laughs> uh, then I think one of the two of them is going to have to like show up and talk about it and actually tell them this is the exact wording of the prophecy. Now we need to figure out what to do. Whether that actually happens next book or this book, I don't know. Like I said, I think the book's going to end with Vin going to the well and finding one of them. Okay. Interesting. Jamie did theorize early on that Quan might have ended up as like the first Inquisitor or something. So yeah, it, that could be the Inquisitor that's hanging around town for all we know. Possibly. I I still think that's Marsh, and I think uh, as well before the book ends, he's going to show up, uh, and we're going to find out what he's really after and what his goal is. Because yeah, I'm really uncertain about what he's up to. I don't have high hopes that he's still going to be on the side of the angels. Yeah, he's acting weird. The one time we saw him, so I. And that was forever Although, ago. Yep. If that is Marsh, he wasn't involved in the mass murder at Terrace. So, True. I mean, he's up to something, but maybe he's not quite on the same field as the rest of the crazies. Um, True. But, I mean, like, you don't have to be aligned with the massive evil faction to also to not be evil. Like, you could just have different goals. Very true. Very true. Everybody's evil. It's, it's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. so that's where I'm at. Interesting. I kind of like... I just like this idea that the very last bit is going to be like, it's going to be the end of uh, The Force Awakens or whatever, where somebody turns around and like takes their hood down. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's him. Well, yeah, but it's going to be because no one has any pictures from back then. It'll be like, uh, I remember there was a, like an ep- a comic of Deadpool where he bumps into like the main mastermind of uh, the, the the villain for that arc. And he goes, oh my God, it's, it's, dude, I got no idea who the hell you are. <laughs> That's like Lex Luthor in the Justice League when he gets put in Flash's body. And he's oh, like, yes. oh, I can finally find out who... I have no idea who this is. <laughs> oh, that was one of the best bits of that cartoon. That was a really great episode. Also because Flash is in his body and he walks out of the bathroom and he's like, they're like, did you wash your hands? Like, no, because I'm Cause evil. I'm evil. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, 
Uh, okay. Jamie, what do you got? I don't have a huge amount more today, but I do I do think that we're going to find – if the well's back in Lutherdale, I think we're going to find it under Predikshaw. Mm, yeah, that would make uh, sense. Yeah. It would make sense for, for that to be there, especially if, if it did move. Yeah, I, I kind of had that idea. I mean, Dak already said that we were talking about it yesterday, which we don't normally do. It's kind of weird that we did this time. but um, <laughs> occasionally. Well, sometimes. Yeah, maybe the well had a way of protecting itself or something. And so the Lord Rulers figured out where where it was. And, I mean, what better way to protect it than be on top of it? So I think we'll find it somewhere there. And, look, if it is marsh, I, I didn't think it was marsh roaming around the city. I sort of had hopes that it was going to be Quan, you know, do, doing his thing. but. If it is Marsh or even if it is Quan, they've done some research and sort of figured things out on their own. So we'll start to see those paths come back together, I think, in this last last week okay. of chapters for us. But that's really all I've got this week. Not, not too Fair much enough. extra at all. Yeah, you did a lot last week, though, so I'm, yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I, still, I still don't think we can certainly say that Vin is the Hero of Ages after these chapters i think everyone else has had a hill to die on and i think this is good. <laughs> okay I, I still am keep sazed for this one okay that's fair we, we we really have no idea where we're going uh, here at the end well, except on, for the wall extension hopefully it's like if like if if my thing pans out it's like it, it could be that yeah vin's not the hero because the third book is called the hero of ages it turns out that's about Lendy who does show up potentially Ooh, yeah he could always have been the hero of ages he never got to do what he was supposed to do back then. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Joe. So I am jumping on the Jamie wagon. I don't think Ben is the hero of ages. I think it's too convenient. Like Alendi was too convenient. I think it's. I think it's saved. Um, I agree with her after okay. her great report last week. I will say going forward, I don't really know what else could happen. I'm supposing that Marsh will show up, like Dex said. I think I said that in the past as well. And I think whatever voice is talking to the Inquisitors, because I do think that those are connected now, the voice that was talking to Zane is connected by this, via the spikes and that they all hear voices. I think that that voice is talking to Marsh very directly, and I think maybe he is looking for the well to take the power or do something. Now, about the well being in Luthadel... Uh, I, I talked about last week how maybe it was just moved. Maybe it's a fit, like a physical thing that they can move. Yeah. So it would make sense if it was up in Terrace before or up in the mountains that Rashek would wa- or want it to be close by in case you know he needed to use it for some reason or something needed to be done with it. So I think that's probably why the thumping is coming from Luthadel. And I think in the first book she did talk about the thumping like the because th- she did start to feel thumping in the first book, and I think she talked about it coming from Credit Shaw. So I think that would follow that that it's probably there somewhere. Hmm. Um, so with all that being said, I think there is going to be I think there is going to be some kind of final conflict, especially because in the annotations, Brandon that you read to us, Brandon says, "How how am I supposed to have two climaxes?" So. If, if this battle was one climax, there's obviously a climax coming in the last bit here. And so it's got to be something pretty big, not just 
been finding Alendi or something like that, I feel like it's got to be, um, it's it's there's got to be some kind of action. Um, okay. Some kind, some kind of, some kind of another fight, whether that be for, with the Inquisitors from the north coming down, or whether it be with if something truly is wrong with Marsh, whether it be with Marsh, something is going to happen. With there being three books in the trilogy, my guess would be, this is just my guess based on other works of fictions that I've read or watched, like it's going to be an Empire style ending. So I think the the end of the book, maybe our heroes are not going to win against whatever this final conflict is. And the third book is going to be how to how to save the world. Save the cheerleader, save the world. Got it. Okay. No, that show <laughs> is not good. The first season of that show is excellent. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, you can say the same thing about a lot of shows. I think a lot of shows, the first season actually is like one of the least good seasons. I think the first season of Lost is really good, but a lot of the other seasons I don't like. Interesting. I didn't start watching Lost until season two. So anyway, back to what you actually said. Yeah. I think I think it probably makes a lot of sense for this to be like if it's a trilogy for us to have like an Empire style thing happening here. I think that seems really reasonable. As for if there's more action and who that action might uh, take place against, it's a good question. The world may never know. Actually, we will know because we're going to read those chapters. But anyway. I think uh, I can't decide if you guys are going to feel excited or angry about when we're done with these next chapters. So I'll be really interested to hear uh, what everyone says next week. Until then, let us look. We still have three emails and two reviews on Apple Podcasts that we have not read yet. So let's do that. So our next email is from Michael. And he says, hello, the Sander Lanch with an E. I was absolutely shocked. With the latest and up-to-date episode, the one after the recording dilation, so like after we were done with our November stuff, I expected there to be a whole slew of emails. Each was great, but only three over the whole month? Wild. Let me help make up for that. (laughs) Two things I'll say, neither hardly about the actual podcast or book being examined. First, ASDF movies were addressed by Dak. Actually, he says (laughs) Dax, but then he says name not yet in the description, hopefully soon. They're great, and Data should watch them all. They were culturally relevant to me while growing up in middle school, so they're terrible, but so good. Warning, they lean on shock humor way too much, and then he has uh, – and you've got no good excuse now, and so you sent a link for me. <laughs> My man. Uh, I'd actually forgotten about that. Like, I watched what you sent with the cow, uh, the skateboarding cow, and then I forgot promptly that that existed at all until he sent this link. And I was like, oh, right. There's more of those videos. Uh, he says, also, I think – Weeks ago, the movie Speed Racer, directed by the Wachowskis, was referenced on the Sanderlanch. I want to shout out that reference. Keep it up. Favorite film of mine. Best film the Wachowskis ever worked on. And I know their filmography. V for Vendetta is the closest, if I'm twisted, to compare anything to the incomparably beautiful beauty of The Racer. I also saw Speed Racer, and I think we may have seen different movies, man. Like, it was very, very pretty. I'll give you that. Yeah. When, When did we reference it? I don't know that we referenced it specifically. Maybe we said a line that is also in Speed Racer, but I think our biggest reference across our show has been Futurama. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we could easily have referenced Speed Racer in the context of, like, the cartoon or something, because I'm, I I say Speed yeah. Racer quotes sometimes, but not uh, probably not from the movie, right. because, wow, that movie. The cartoon, I mean, if, if, if somebody went, oh, you know, maybe that would be <laughs> a reference, but... Go, Speed Racer, go. 
I, I don't want to hate on your movie taste, Michael. I'm sorry. I, you wrote us a really nice email, and I don't mean to 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 be harsh. The Wachowskis are good. Yeah. V for Vendetta, I, I really like a whole lot. Speed Racer yeah. is a hell of a thing, though. I mean, oh, I fun. data may not data may not want to hit on your movie taste, but I will. Uh, your movie is bad, and you should feel bad. Uh, and actually, it's funny because what he says is, "Hope that gives Joe something to yell about." Ha ha. But I'm serious. <laughs> well, I'm not yelling, not yet. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing the end of the book and Hero of Ages specifically. Keep it up, Nelly Mandeli is how it's signed, and he says, "Feel free to see my handle. No issue for privacy." So I did. Thank you. I thought Spade Race was fun. I think that was the first movie I ever saw when our drive-in movie theater opened here. Like, that's the first one that I saw there. And I was excited because of that, Mm. because I'd never been to a drive-in movie before. But at the same time, I just remember a feeling of disappointment after leaving that movie. I don't think it was the greatest movie ever, but I was never not entertained while watching it, because there was always some random shit happening. I'm like, this is vibrant. You're not wrong. Vibrant is an excellent word to describe that movie. Okay. I mean, you know, agree to disagree. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Nelly and Dak. <laughs> uh, enjoy the movies that you love. That's the important thing. I mean, we already know that me and Dak disagree on uh, In Bruges, so. Yeah, it happens. The next email is from J. Jonah Jameson. Yep. And he says, hello, I just wanted to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This year has been really tough, and your podcast has been a great way to start the week. I'm really enjoying everything, and while I was rereading the Stormlight Archive and Rhythm of War this year, I was thinking about how you all would react. To Joe, I wish you get well soon, and no others of you get COVID. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for the email, Jackson. You're the best. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the well wishes. I am uh, I am pretty much better. You still getting uh, – I mean, are you feeling, like, less tired this week than last week? or? Yeah, uh, Thursday – Friday, we're recording on Saturday right now, uh, Sunday in Australia. Thursday, Friday was like that were like the first days that I didn't like immediately fall asleep after work. So, oh, well, that's good. And our last email is from Pablo, and he says, "Hi, Data, Jamie, Dak, and Joe, all spelled perfectly." Somebody's been looking and reading. My name is Pablo, and I am a 37-year-old guy from Spain, Valencia. I always wanted uh, – I visited Spain very briefly. Like uh, I think we got off our cruise ship in Barcelona and went to the airport, and that was – that's been my entire experience with Spain. I want to go back. But anyway, sorry. A couple months ago, I decided to start reading The Cosmere based on a recommendation from my wife, and after some cautious research, I decided that Mistborn could be a good starting point. I agree. That's a good starting point, Pablo. I like to read in English because I'm always trying to improve slash maintain my English level. And I like to accompany my reading with a podcast about the book to improve my listening skills as well as my reading ones. It's hard for me to find a podcast I'm comfortable with because there are too many variables to consider. Maybe that's just me being picky. And after trying a couple of podcasts about Mistborn, I decided to give you a chance, although at the time you only had covered the first book and half of the second. After listening to a couple episodes, I liked your style and I decided to keep listening to your podcast until I caught up with you and then maybe I will leave you behind. That is not going to be the case. Not only I liked your style, but I also love it. Data conducts the episodes deftly while avoiding spoilers. Thanks. Appreciate that. And the input from Dak, Jamie, and Joe is always interesting and rewarding. I find the podcast structure to be perfect for my needs, and I really fancy the predicaments section where everyone's theories come to light. More than once, I found myself experiencing some shocking revelation while reading and thinking, Joe predicted that, or Jamie thought about (laughs) this six or seven episodes ago. I miss some cultural references. Yeah, we make a lot of those. Uh, Sorry. But that's bound to happen when you're listening to a podcast from another country or two in this case. And I don't find them tiresome. That is why I've decided to read along with you while following the broadcast piece. 
pace and then virtually join the Cosmere journey designated by Data. I just wanted to congratulate all four of you on your work and let you know that you have a fan from Spain. Thanks for everything. P.S. Excuse my grammar and vocabulary. English is not my first language. Hey, Pablo, you did an excellent job. Dude, I like do you, not have any issues there. You did better than a lot of people whose English is their first language, so. Yeah, better than me. But thank you, Pablo. I, I, I love that you're discovering the Cosmere with us and that you're going to hang out and follow along with us. It's very exciting for me to hear that from people. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to start the show in the first place, so. Yeah, awesome email. Thanks, Pablo. Thanks, man. Okay, and then we had two more reviews that Joe has to uh, give some sort of... Uh, All right, so laser to. laser focus here. Yeah. So the first one is from Pamela S1981, and this is the one from Canada that I couldn't see until I looked this other place. Exactly what I was looking for. Thoroughly enjoying this podcast. Just caught up. Can't wait for next week's episode. Thanks. Short, to the point, wow. five stars. Thanks, yeah. Pamela. I love it. What a what a piercing review. You're definitely a coin shot. <laughs> Our first Canadian review, and it was awesome. Thank you, coin shot Pamela. And then the, my favorite of the, the usernames, even though Snuffleupagus last time was good, this one is from someone called Thirds Ain't. And I feel like – I don't know if I'm right. I feel like that has to be a reference to Ender's Game and like uh, Thirds being a, a thing in there like it's a, a stigma to be the third child because people are only allowed to have two of them so that that made it my favorite even if i'm completely wrong about where they got the idea you watch he's gonna knock a star off the review now because you got that wrong right but thirds ain't says a great sanderson cosmere podcast for newbies i've listened to about five episodes and have greatly enjoyed this having just finished the hero of ages it's fun to go back and relive it through the eyes of first timers i was wanting a podcast good for newbies to the cosmere because every single one i try and listen to has so many unannounced or even announced spoilers for the universe or secret history, etc. Having gotten frustrated and even spoiled multiple times, I wanted to listen. I wanted something I can listen to safely. Thankfully, these folks are doing a great job doing a deep dive a couple chapters at a time, and I've enjoyed it along with the predictions they make. Keep it up. So thank you, Thirds Ain't. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Thirds Ain't. What a what a soothing review. You're definitely a soother. <laughs> I love I love, I love it. It's great. Okay. Thank you, Joe, for uh, assigning our, our, our yeah. reviewers. If you, too, would like to be given a misting title of your own, please review our podcast with five stars. And uh, you, too, can be invited into the misting crew. Oh, gosh. We're going to have to make a special section of... Uh, of uh, oh, yeah. We need to go back in the episodes. Mistings. Yeah, we need to go back in the episodes and make, like, a spreadsheet. I need to make a spreadsheet of their username and what they are so I can, like, properly refer to them in, in the, with their title. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. You know, it's like make this is all making me think we need to figure out like I hope the books reveal at some point if there are mistings who can burn only aluminium or dualum and even if that's completely useless to them, just so we can figure out a name for those people. <laughs> just so we got more categories. Yeah, what would you name them? Jeez. Well, if it was me doing it and not Brandon, for aluminum, I would probably be like, you know, like a um, I'd call them like a soaker or something, because it like so- it like soaks up all your your stuff and and uh, leaves oh, you well, empty. That's a good one. I was thinking quencher, but your, I think yours is better. Oh yeah, quencher's good too. And then maybe for duralumin, you you'd call that like a uh, blazer. Uh, yeah, maybe like a blazer. That'd Just be blaze. Good. Just blaze. Yeah. Oh, and then you got to do it for gold natium as well. Oh, the time ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me think. I'll uh, add him. Uh, it's got to be like a seer. 
Right? Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. And then gold one, maybe that's like um, a teller reflector? or reflector. That's good. Yeah. Or a teller. I, I think a yep. teller would be good. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I, these are I, names I like, of our own design if they're yeah. if they're cosmere names for these things then you know forget joe will ignore them and use the ones that he likes no <laughs> no i'll i'll use the correct ones okay once we find out what they are if they, or, even yeah, exist, if they yeah. exist okay well that was uh the stuff for this episode remember we are finishing the book for next time so if you guys finally you you will get the joy of making it to the end of the book and that's for next time. We're going to be wrapping this up. And then after that, we're going to jump right into the Hero of Ages. So be prepared for a new book and a new song. The most exciting part of moving to the new book is that we'll have a new <laughs> oh, song for the show. That's right. I just got used to this one. Well, get on used to it. Yeah. yeah. Be told. And, and actually, it's funny because on the uh, the holiday special one, the, the like two-minute thing that I uploaded onto the actual Podbean site – that was just, hey, here's what's happening, and go out to YouTube to watch the actual episode. At the end of that, I put the uh, the the end music from that we were using for the Final Empire because the video episode was about the Final Empire. And I was like, oh man, mm. I remember this music. This was good. Yeah, yeah, it's good music. Anyway, those are so, good burgers, Walter. Speaking of music, music by Miracle of Sound. Check hey, him out. Hey, you didn't forget yeah. this time. He's awesome, and the new song that I have picked out uh, for the new book will, of course, be from Miracle of Sound. So tune in, if only to find out what the new song is going to be. Otherwise, wasing to the time of next, everyone. We try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. All that die, 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 we keep it in our hands. Never let it fail.